This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Turn, if you would, to Ruth chapter 2. Ruth chapter 2 and uh, verse 2. So we continue this morning to study these wonderful people that God has put for us to not miss anything of the great blessing that God has for us in this in this book. Actually, you 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 wonder why are we spending so much time in Ruth? Because I can't decide what to do afterward. <laughs> so until I do, here we are. <laughs> Let's uh, okay. I'll read here. Ruth chapter two verse two. And Ruth the Moabitess said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whom sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, Go, my daughter. And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and her half was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was a kindred of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, The Lord be with you. They answered him, The Lord bless thee. Then said Boaz unto his servant that was set over the reapers, Whose damsel is this? And the servant that was set over the reapers answered and said, It is the Moabitish damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. And she said, I pray you, let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and hath continued even from the morning until now that she tarried a little in the house. Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not my daughter? Go not to glean in another's field, neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go thou after them. Have not I charged the young man that they shall not touch thee? And when thou art a thirst, go unto the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said, Why have I found grace in thine eyes that thou shouldst take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? Now, so far in our study of this book, we've seen the kind of man that Boaz was, is he gave himself to the care of really the outcast, and that's what Ruth was. And we've seen how Boaz took this special notice of this foreigner in his field. 
and how he wanted to know all about her circumstances. That was the no part of Boaz. Boaz took time to know. And I used the analogy last time of of how I monitor my six sparrow and goldfinch bird feeders at home to always know the level of the seed in each of the feeders. As I'm talking to you right now, I'm visualizing how much seed there is in each one. But that's not all I'm thinking about. And so we've seen how Boaz let Ruth's circumstances, the knowledge that he had about her, pass from his head to his heart. And as he did this, he brought himself into a state of compassion. He made himself vulnerable as he allowed his heart to hurt with her loneliness from being a foreigner. He he made himself vulnerable by allowing his heart to hurt with her hunger and the fact that she didn't have a field of her own. She didn't have money to buy food. He hurt with her thirst in the hot sun and no way for her to get water as she worked. He hurt with her feeling of insecurity of what's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to us, to Naomi and me? He hurt with the fear for her personal safety. He hurt with her weight of burden, of every responsibility. She's got to bring food back to Naomi. And when Boaz did that, he went from the comfort of being the landowner that everyone else was taking care of to putting himself in Ruth's shoes, and and that's why he was a man of compassion. And when the foreman told Boaz about Ruth, uh, Boaz looked at Ruth's circumstances, and Boaz saw griefs. He, he hears the story, and he says, I see grief. I see grief. When, Boaz, when the foreman told Boaz about Ruth, he looked at her situation, he says, I see sorrow. I see burdens. He sees griefs. He sees sorrows. He sees burdens. He sees loneliness. It's hunger and thirst and insecurity and fear and burdens of, of having to bring food back to, to Naomi. And he makes this decision. Boaz makes this decision. Ruth's griefs are going to be his griefs. Ruth's sorrows and burdens are going to be his sorrows and burdens. And what we see is Boaz here just springs into action. And he's got this process of making uh, Boaz uh, making Ruth's griefs and uh, his griefs and, and making Ruth's sorrows, his sorrows and burdens, her burdens. See, and taking the griefs and the sorrows of the loneliness and the insecurity, what's going to happen to me? He then, he, he says, okay, those griefs of insecurity and of loneliness, I got you covered. I'm going to call you my daughter. With those two words, Boaz tells Ruth that she's now part of his family. It's like, you're my own daughter. And my daughter's not going to be alone. My daughter's going to be cared for. And in taking care of Ruth's grief and her sorrow of hunger, Boaz tells Ruth in verse 8, you don't leave my field. You stay in my field. You don't just go anywhere in my field. You go in the most fruitful part of my field, right next to my maidens who are gathering up what the men cut. And then in taking Ruth's grief and sorrow for thirst, he says in verse 9, I make a special allowance for you. The special allowance is you go drink from the water that those strong young men who you're afraid of, but they've drawn it for you. And in so doing, Boaz is telling Ruth that he has told those young men, you're drawing water for Ruth. And in taking Ruth's grief and sorrow of fear for her personal safety of his his own, he takes this and he says in verse 9, 
I've charged the men. They, were, they are not to touch you. And in taking Ruth's burden of the responsibility to bring the food back to Naomi, later in, this, in verse 15, Boaz, t- he, he tells the men, you take handfuls of grain. You look where Ruth is, you purposefully drop it in so she, she gets it. And when Ruth saw that, I mean, we can imagine Ruth standing in utter amazement to see how Boaz took this time to understand each one of Ruth's griefs and sorrows and burdens. What do we see here? What are we looking at here? A list. It's a list. Boaz is going down the list. He's got a list. And Ruth is amazed that Boaz made the list. And Ruth is amazed that Boaz is going down the list and doing something about everything on the list. Yeah. Clint. He, he, Clint always wears the same fluorescent shirts at work. <laughs> Sometimes I think he doesn't wash them, but he's got several of them. Anyways, all of his fluorescent shirts have a pocket. And in his pocket, he carries a little book. And when he does a remodel job, he makes a list of everything that the house owner complains about. In my case, that's many things. And he makes sure that he goes down that list to make sure that he's covered every need. And that's what Boaz has done here with Ruth. Boaz has made a list, and then he's gone down that list. He's made sure that he's got everything on that list from listening to the foreman of what are her sorrows, what are her griefs. And then he's gone down each one. That's what he's doing And as he's doing that, he's he's internalizing these griefs and putting them on his own back. And he's taking her sorrows and his burden, he's putting those on his own back. And what we see Boaz doing for Ruth is a picture. It's a picture of what the Lord Jesus Christ did. When it says in Isaiah 53, 4, surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, as in many. See, he bore our griefs He carried our sorrows. What does it mean? He made a list. He made a list of all our griefs. He made a list of all of our sorrows. What are our sorrows? What are our griefs? Yesterday, at Cindy Horton's memorial service, Dave Hall brought a wonderful message, talked about the griefs and sorrow. Dave's message was really good. Dave's message alone was worth the price of the ticket. (laughs) And And he's talked about griefs and sorrows. Our griefs... And our burdens are the pains of our soul. They are our soul pains. We have a soul pain of living a life in darkness. We have a soul pain of living a life with no eternal purpose. We have a soul pain of living a life of emptiness with having a gnawing inner hunger and thirst. We have a soul pain of living a life of ignorance as to how to get to heaven. We have a soul pain of living a life of insecurity of whether or not the door is going to be open for us to heaven. Have I done enough to have an open door? We have a track that we're now giving to Orthodox Jewish people about the law, and the, and the track is, have you done enough? And that's a pain. That's a soul pain. That's a, that's a soul painful question. We have a soul pain of living a life with no answer to the problem of death. Just standing in front of of a grave and of death and saying, I don't know. I wish I knew. 
We have a soul pain of living a life with no protection from powerful spiritual forces that are out to destroy us. And to live a life with that list of griefs and sorrows and burdens, it's painful in our souls. It's a soul pain. And all the pleasures and the distractions of Las Vegas cannot take away that soul pain. And all the drugs off the street cannot take away that soul pain. And all the liquor in the liquor stores cannot take away that soul pain. The only way for that soul pain to be taken care of is to take away the cause, to take away the griefs, to take away the sorrows and the burdens. And our Boaz, the Lord Jesus Christ, he saw, he made a list of all of our griefs, all of our burdens. He took them upon himself, as it says in Isaiah 53, 4. He bore our griefs, carried our sorrows. And when he did that, just like Boaz, he went on down the list. He went down the list. Boaz went down the list of Ruth's griefs and burdens and sorrows, and he solved every one, one by one, in particular. Particular need, particular solution. The Lord Jesus Christ went down our lists of griefs and burdens and sorrows one by one, in particular, a particular solution. He addressed them one by one in one book, the book of John. And just like Clint, the Lord Jesus Christ got his little book out. I see Clint doing this all the time, you know. And he says, okay, here's my list. You go, for ours, for the grief of our darkness, he became our light. John 8, 12, I'm the light of the world. For the grief of our lack of purpose, eternal purpose in life, he became our vine. I am the true vine, John 15, 5. For the grief of the emptiness, of the gnawing of the inner hunger and thirst, he became our bread, John 6, 35. For our grief of ignorance as to how in the world we'd ever going to make our way to heaven, he became our way in John 14, 6. For the grief of not knowing if an entrance, if the door is going to be open for us to heaven, he became our door, John 10, 9. And for the grief of looking at death with absolutely no answers, he became our resurrection and life, John eleven twenty five, And for the grief of protection from spiritual powers that are far more powerful than us, he became our shepherd in John 10, 11. So just as Boaz looked at every one of Ruth's griefs and burdens and sorrows and then went right on down the list to take care of everyone in particular, the Lord Jesus Christ did that. He looked at every one of our griefs, every one of our burdens and sorrows, and he went right on down the list, and in particular, he said, I've got that one, check, 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 check. And Boaz went down all these lists of griefs and burdens and sorrows and covered them all and said to himself, do I have them all covered? Is there anything I've missed? And just like Clint with his little book, goes down the list and makes sure he's got them all covered. And the Lord Jesus Christ went down the list of our griefs and our, and our burdens and our sorrows, and then he says to himself, let's see now, have I got them all covered? Yes. And, and just like Bruce stood stunned in amazement, how meticulously Boaz has studied all of her griefs and sorrows, and then how particularly Boaz has met each one of my needs. We're stunned 
in utter amazement of how meticulously the Lord Jesus Christ has studied all of our griefs and our sorrows, and then how particularly he's met every single one of them. You know, in our last study, we looked at at Matthew 6.33, which was, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And that's interesting because that's a verse that's right in the middle of the greatest teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ, which was the Sermon on the Mount. And when the Lord Jesus brought his closing remarks to his talk there, his, his teaching, it, it was in the end of Matthew 7. And so for his closing remarks, he says these things. He, he says, therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, referring to what he's just taught, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. You know what's so interesting about these closing remarks is that he puts all of his audience into just two categories. He said, all of you here now are just in two categories. He said the one category he describes in Matthew 7, 24, he said, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them. He said, now that's one. You, you who heard my, these saying, my sayings and you're doing them, I liken you unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And he said, now on the other hand, there's many here today, he's saying, that, that I'm describing in Matthew 7, 26 as everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not. And he says, you're likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. That's how the Lord Jesus Christ brought to a close his greatest teaching by putting his hearers into just two categories. And those who heard and did, and they built their house on the rock, and those who heard and did not, and they built their house on the sand. He closes his greatest teaching with a description of two groups of people both building their house. Nobody's not building. Both are building. He was saying that everyone's building a house here. Some were building their house on the rock. Some were building their house on the sand. But everybody's building. Everybody's building a house. I really like the song that we just sung. So the house, the mansion. See, in his description, there's nobody who's not building a house. Everyone is building their house. So, and he describes how those who heard his sayings and obeyed his sayings were those who built their house on the rock. He says, on a rock. I know Matthew says, on a rock. But in the Greek, it doesn't say, on a rock. It says, on the rock. And referring to the Lord Jesus Christ as the rock. And those who built their house on the rock and had to, then, then they had their house withstand the most unusual beating from torrential rains and sweeping floods and hurricane winds. But, but, it, but it stood. Why? Because it was built on the rock. But by contrast, the Lord Jesus Christ said, those who built their hand on the sand, they saw what he called a great fall. When the same unusual beating happened of the torrential rains and the sweeping floods and the hurricane winds, that house was a great fall because it was built on the sand. And when he finished his great sermon on the mount with that illustration... The next verse reads in Matthew 7, 28, the response of the people when they heard this. So they came to pass, when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished 
at his doctrine. They were astonished. The audience was stunned. No one would ever finish a teaching like that. You're going to finish a teaching with such an abrupt, startling conclusion? Because after such a long teaching, for those, for those who were building on, on the, their house on the rock, I mean, there's this group, and they had long teaching, and they hear you talk about the building on the rock. What happened? They left. They left the teaching. They went home. They have this quiet assurance in their hearts. But on the other hand, for those after such a long teaching who were building their house on the sand of non-obedience, they left the teaching and went home disturbed with the picture fresh in their minds of the loud noise of a house breaking up with snapping timbers and collapsing walls and falling ceilings. In his words, great was the fall of it. And that's how the Lord Jesus Christ sends his hearers home. He said, you know, have a nice day. <laughs> Not with a false sense of security that all was okay. Not with a false comfort, but with the crash of doom. His intention was that those who were building their house on the sand would go home with a profound restlessness in their souls. And if there's a person in this church today who's just playing church and not digging deep to find Christ, hear him, obey him, the best thing that could happen is to go home with a restlessness that drives to Christ for the rest that he promised. Anyone today who reads the Sermon on the Mount with an open heart, with an honest heart, cannot come to the end without reaching the same conclusion of the crash of doom. He made clear, both groups of hearers are described as hearing these sayings of mine. Both. Everybody heard. Both groups, they liked his teaching. Both groups came to hear his teaching. One group did not obey his teaching. They were counterfeits. They were counterfeit Christians. A counterfeit Christian, counterfeit Christian likes to hear the teachings of Christ. A counterfeit Christian comes to hear the teachings of Christ. A counterfeit Christian is not opposed to coming to church, is not opposed to listening to sermons, is not opposed to reading the Bible, is not opposed to saying prayers. And by attending church, by listening to sermons, by reading the Bible, by saying prayers, the counterfeit Christian looks good. And, and he looks orthodox in his beliefs and faithful in church attendance. But the counterfeit Christian looks deceptively good. The key to what is fundamentally wrong is found in the, in the, um, the uh, other description of this passage in Luke's gospel, where it says in Luke 6.47, Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. See, in that verse, Luke gives us what is fundamentally wrong with the counterfeit Christian. And he describes it by the counterfeit Christian does not follow three essential steps which are involved in building the house on the rock, which he says are cometh to me, and heareth my sayings, and doeth them. Step one, cometh to me. Seek the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program was brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.